This is a Visual Audio Times production. Hello and welcome to Imole, your go-to mental health, wellness and spirituality podcast. I am your host, Palumi. Thank you for hitting play on this episode. Please make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you stream your podcast so you don't miss out on new episodes. Also, follow Imole on Instagram and Twitter at ImoleThePod. Before we start today's episode, I'd like for us to calm our nerves with a short meditation exercise. Follow the sound of my voice. Breathe in slowly. Breathe out slowly. Today's episode is PTSD. I'm sure many of us have heard of PTSD, but do we really know what it entails? And how do you know if you have PTSD or if you're just saying you have PTSD for the sake of it? So I have a very special guest with me today. He's an expert on this topic. His name is Faiz Aliu, and he's a psychologist and mental health expert based in Abuja, Nigeria. He's also currently leading operations at She Writes Woman, a nonprofit focused on providing mental health support in Nigeria. So, Faiz, welcome to this podcast. Hey, Pelumi, thank you very much for having Happy to be here. Yeah, is there another thing you would like to add, you know, about your long resume <laughs> and all the <laughs> list of interesting things that you're doing? Because, guys, he's a superstar. So, please let us know. Flex on us a little bit, Faiz. <laughs> um, okay, so I've been a counseling psychologist uh, working over the past eight years, um, but I've also been working on the challenges of inclusive education and social welfare um, with a lot of uh, international bodies, development agencies, uh, the Dutch Ministry of Foreign Affairs, Oxfam. I've been the consulting partner for innovation hubs across the country. Um, I've worked in both uh, psychology and international business as a consultant for PwC in Japan, uh, as a trauma counselor for the Refugee Council. Um, currently, I'm the COO of She Writes Women, a mental health and disability rights advocacy organization. Uh, we serve a community of 40,000 individuals, providing mental health care resources and advocating along with our partners at World Health Organization and Human Rights Watch for legal reform regarding the rights of people living with disabilities. Um, disabilities can be mental, psychosocial disabilities, physical or learning disabilities. And for the past year, uh, my focus has really been working on getting legal and legislative reform passed that takes into consideration the needs of people with differing disabilities and ensures that they're always consulted in the co-creation of any solutions that um, do affect them. Okay, so you see guys, I told you, 
you're changing the world one person at a time and we really do appreciate the work you're doing especially in this part of the world whereby you know mental health is not always like the very first thing people talk about and it's still a very taboo topic but um that's why i have my podcast and that's why we have people like you because we're changing the narrative so um as i said mentioned earlier ptsd is something that you know, it's, com- it's commonly seen in movies. We always talk about it. Oh, I have PTSD. Oh, this person. I mean, someone could just like make light of it and say, well, yeah, I got locked in, in the car one time and now I have PTSD. And that could be true. That could be true. But please, can you break down what exactly PTSD is? Right. I think you're right in that PTSD has um, sort of been overused or misused in many contexts. Uh, mainly due to the media, but um, I think the best way to describe PTSD is um, a reaction, a physical or emotional reaction that develops in people who've been through traumatic or life-threatening events, anything that was a danger to their life or safety or to the people around them. Now, this could be anything from physical or sexual assault. It can be um, surviving a a kidnapping, torture, or it can be surviving a disaster such as a fire or a flood. Um, so as a result of these experiences, a person develops intense feelings of fear, helplessness, or horror. And people with PTSD often experience these feelings in the form of a very extreme sense of panic or fear, um, similar to the kind of fear that they felt during the event. Um, so there are four main types of difficulties that people with PTSD experience. Um, The first is when they try to avoid reminders of the event. And avoiding it might not simply have to do with the event itself. It can even be avoiding the people people involved in it. Um, So it can be anything from a traumatic memory where people are trying very hard to forget not just the event, but the people that were involved in the event, such that they're pushing away from the pain of the experience, so much so that their mind starts to forget the people who were there or forget about the events that led up to it, just so that they don't have to go through that experience again and again, because PTSD is something that constantly springs up. Um, And it springs up by by way of people reliving the traumatic event. You know, they relive it through unwanted or recurring memories, mostly coming in the form of nightmares or just flashes in their mind. Uh, And these are usually seen as like emotional or intense physical reactions, heart palpitations, sweating, panic attacks. Um, The last one is that they are usually overtly alert. So person has usually has sleeping difficulties they're easily irritable um it's hard for them to concentrate on a lot of things uh, and they're easily startled because their body is uh in constant flight or flight mode and they're worrying about a specific situation where they will be in danger Um, so that level of anxiety is usually very high in a person who lives with ptsd I think it's, uh, I would say it's not unusual for, it's not unusual for a person with PTSD to um, suffer from other mental health problems. 
and they usually try to cope with um, anything from alcohol to drug abuse, and that's when it becomes really dangerous. Um, I would say that um, anybody suffering from PTSD, anybody who's been through a traumatic event, uh, for the most part, it's really important to live through the event. We do this thing where we constantly try and separate our emotions between those that are positive and those that are negative. Uh, we'd say that sadness, for example, is a negative emotion and happiness is a good one. But the truth is both of them have their uses. And in most instances, the best way to get through PTSD is to go through those emotions. Allow yourself to go through grief. Allow yourself to go through worry. Allow yourself to pass that emotion and get to the other side. Um, and that's, that's, of course, better done through therapy and the kind of psychosocial support that either psychologists or friends or communities can provide. Is it possible for you to say that you are completely cured of something? Because now you said um, for you like for the patients, or it's best it's better if the patients, like you know, or the people, I'll just call them people, relive right. the process and go through the same thing again. And it's like, I mean, trauma varies. Like some people, it's much lighter than others, or it's not as severe as others. Is there a point that someone can get to and be like, I have completely overcome this? Even a soldier that goes to war, I think that's like the height that most people know about when it comes to PTSD. Is there a way that a person can be, quote unquote, completely cured or learn to live with it in a manageable way that they don't have triggers and flashbacks anymore? Right. So I do think that uh, when it comes to PTSD, um, I don't necessarily feel that people should be reliving through it all the time, but they shouldn't be afraid to deal with the emotional fallout because what people usually do rather than deal with the pain that they're going through is they try to avoid it. And the more you're avoiding the way you're feeling, the more emotionally numb you become. And that's dangerous because it could impede how it can impede your proper functioning. So when it comes to um, getting through um, or living through um, the effects of PTSD, I would say that as an adult, it's harder to completely cure yourself, though it's not impossible. Um, you see, for children, children's brains are like sponges. They can regrow areas that have been adversely affected. So it's easier to treat in that sense. Um, with children, it's more difficult identifying the, a child who needs help rather than actually helping them. Um, but with adults, because um, your experiences and your mind has largely been set by the time you've reached 23, 24 years old, um, it's harder to completely excise those memories but it is possible to live through them. It is possible to learn strategies to cope such that your anxiety and the level of pain and the level of discomfort you're dealing with is either manageable or small enough that you don't notice it as much after some time. Mm, that's good. I think I like the term small enough that you don't notice it. So yeah. that means it's always there sometimes because when we go through things they shape us and usually people try to you know 
dissociate from their pain completely and say, you know, that was me at some point, or I want to be completely cured or go back to normal. But I feel like when we go through traumatic events, it's like a form of, how do I say, like a refining process for us. And I'm not trying to make light of people's traumatic events, but I feel like we can come out reformed like gold. You know, you go through the fire and then you come out like pure gold. I know it's, it's very, it's a very tough process and I'm making, and it seems like I'm making light of it, but the truth of the matter is once something has happened to you, you can't undo it. So it's just, it depends on how you deal with it. So I really like, I love the fact that you said making it small enough so that, you know, you can live with it, but yeah, you you know, you went through that. Exactly. So I was going to ask, is it different in children and in adults? Cause I think I have, I've already told you the story before, but, um, when I was younger, as I said, I survived the bomb blast, the Kaja cantonment bomb blast. And I was at home yeah. with my siblings and my uncles and we had to scale the fence. Like we literally had to find another way to get out of the cantonment because the main gate was blocked. And if we had gone towards the main gate, probably would be dead by now. So we had to find a way to scale the fence. And it was a very traumatic event. I was about six or seven, between six and eight. I'll do the math. Yeah, I think I was like eight. (laughs) I'm not trying to date myself too much, but I was like eight years old. And I remember like the very loud, like it was so loud, so, Mm. so, so loud. Like glass was shattering just from the vibration of the bomb. And we weren't really like next to the bombs or something. We had actually scaled the fence. We left the cantonment. We went somewhere else. And even in that house, it was a glass house. And I could just remember glass just shattering and then like the bombs going up and looking like fireworks. So for a while after that, like loud noises scared me. Like even someone slamming the door would make me just jolt out of bed. Like it was a crazy thing, but... I didn't get therapy for it. I didn't even talk to anyone about it. Now that I'm thinking back on it, I know it was PTSD, knowing what I know now. But back then I was just like, okay, I'll be fine. I'll pray about it. Like I was told, you're lucky you survived. Pray about it, you'll be okay. And with time I got better. So is it possible for someone to, let's say, experience a traumatic event when they're younger, not get therapy for it, and with time just get better? Right. So there's so many things I want to address in that. <laughs> I think, okay, um, <laughs> where do I start? Yeah, first of all, I'm sorry you had to go through that. I'm sure that was a very traumatic event. and You were very young at the time. It's interesting because it's only very recently, sometime in 2012, when the medical community came to the conclusion that um, PTSD could be diagnosed in children um, ages six and younger. You know, so you were just at that point where um, your mind is able to, your mind is mature enough that it can still um, go through or suffer from a traumatic event enough for you to um, gain PTSD. So the tricky thing about identifying PTSD in children um, is that typically they won't be aware that they have it. Unlike a disease, you know, there's no blood test that you can do. So diagnosing it just involves asking a lot of questions and connecting the dots between what's going on now and what they may have seen or experienced. Um, A child doesn't always know how to express what they're experiencing or going through. So you don't have like the classic symptoms of PTSD that you would usually have an adult. So you usually come in the form of like irritability or social withdrawal, insomnia, 
you know, or constantly feeling that they're unsafe or avoiding people. Um, but luckily, that also means that it's easier to treat um, than when people uh, enter adulthood. Um, a child's brain is far more resilient, and their ba- brain chemistry helps in that way. Um, so in adults, PTSD can show up as any symptom um, that we talked about earlier. Um, but for children, there it's, it's usually very, very specific. Right? And so I do think for, for children, the important thing is being able to identify that this child is going through something difficult. And it's something that I see often in schools. Like you will see a child acting out, being unnecessarily aggressive or being unnecessarily withdrawn. And usually, uh, unfortunately, because we don't have a very solid system in which to you know, diagnose these issues here in Nigeria, uh, these things aren't really treated the way they should be. Um, but usually you can tell when the child is, is, is in some form of distress. And the important thing is being able to identify those markers and then having the child go through therapeutic process in order to come out the other way. Like I said, with children, it's, it's far more easy to treat. And I think you mentioned that over time, it's something that it's something that passed. It's something that you got over. And it was because you were very young. So it was an experience that was easy for your mind to recover from versus if you were much older and the experience would have probably like determined a lot of the way that you handle so many issues moving forward because your mind would have already been set in a certain way. That's very true. I mean, even an experience that I did have when I was older, and I'm sure a lot of women or young women can relate to this, is um, when I just moved back to Nigeria, I was um, standing on the road. This was very early in the morning, waiting for someone to come pick me up to go to work because we had to beat like third mainland traffic. And I remember someone came to me and was trying to grab me. And the thing is, hearing a lot, of, a lot of stories about kidnappings in Lagos. And when you just get back to Nigeria, everyone is telling you about every bad thing that could possibly happen to you, which mm. I don't think is a good idea, but yeah. <laughs> you're just told to constantly be on high alert. Oh, this can happen. That is happening. This is happening. So mm. I remember he was coming towards me and I walked, like I moved away from him to avoid, you know, just, I just felt like he was, maybe he was trying to go somewhere and I was in his way. So I stepped away and he kept coming and he got close enough to try to grab me, like literally lift me from the ground. And I had an umbrella and I was able to fight him off. Like we literally got in a fight. I was fighting with my umbrella and he was like clenching his fist and everything. Mm. And I remember after that as well. And even till now, this was in 2018. This was like, um, I think October, 2018. If I can remember, I don't remember the exact day, but October, 2018. And even until now, if, if people walk a bit too close to me, especially if it's dark and right. I'm in a certain area, like, I mean, it's a lot better now because I moved to Ghana and Ghana is a lot safer and right. it's a lot calmer. And I don't really walk around on the road at night anyway, but mm. I've noticed that thing. I'm always on high alert when I'm walking, like very, and even more than I used to be. I feel like I was a little more naive at that point. And mm. now, especially in Lagos, like I'm very tensed. And mm. I remember when I moved to Ghana, it's a year today actually that I moved. And I remember when I moved, I told my friend after a while that 
um, I used to think I had anxiety issues or I just had like, I was a very anxious person until I left Lagos. Now, I'm not really sure if that's because that <laughs> happened to me in Lagos and a couple of other things also no. happened. No, it's true. It's true, like a serious thing. No, it's, it's, I'm not it's sure if it's because a couple of other things. <laughs> it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that because it's something yeah. that I say often. I tell people, I was, I was speaking to someone just yesterday and she was describing her issues of both anxiety and heightened sense of, she always felt like, like something was missing, like she needed to be in constant motion. And I told her the problem isn't that True. you're necessarily in danger. The problem is that you live in Lagos. Spot on. You know, we're going to quote that. I'm going to say it. Because it's true. Sometimes I feel like your environment can really exactly. give you, like, all my, most of my friends, people I know, they're like, oh, yeah, I was robbed in traffic. I was this. I was that. Like, it gets to a point. It's like you are constantly on edge. And exactly. there's also that thing of, like, you said something about victims avoiding places, maybe, right. or places that could trigger memories or people that could trigger memories. Exactly. If, let's say, you were robbed in traffic, and I do know someone who was, like, literally, I think they found a way to get into her car and were trying to, like, choke her from behind just to, like, okay. it was it was crazy. So mm. someone going through that experience and is still driving around in Lagos at night, like, I hear people tell me this all the time, that, oh, if I'm going through a shoot, yeah, I'll do this. If I'm going through here, I'm doing this. And it's just like, how do we even live like this? You know, it's crazy because you're constantly on edge. Unfortunately, I think it's just like you said, uh, it's an environmental factor. And not just in Lagos, but so many Nigerians have gotten used to the idea of being on edge the idea of looking over your shoulder, the idea that you may or may not be cheated True. by this person or the other, that you're constantly in fight or flight mode. Um, I, 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 I remember a friend of mine, uh, a foreign friend of mine, telling me that uh, he doesn't understand why Nigerians are always so, so loud, why they're always so trying to impose themselves on, on one area or another. And I said, no, you have to understand in the environment where we come from, uh, if you're if you're not loud, if you're not imposing yourself, you get rushed over, you get pushed over. People forget about you and move Very on. True. So people have developed that sort of uh, that sort of attitude, that sort of resilience to the constant day to day hustle. Um, and the truth is, it's not healthy. There is nothing healthy about it at all. Um, I often say that what we need to learn how to do actually in Nigeria more than anything is learn how to slow down um, because we're constantly moving, we're constantly working, we're constantly worrying, and that has a huge effect on our mental health. Obviously, you know, this has a lot to do with so many social issues that we have to deal with um, all across the country. But more than anything, because of the environment we live in, it's why... Uh, mental health is really important. Why it's uh, therapy is something that's really important for everybody to consider. Okay, because to me, it's like, even if you do get therapy, 
Mm. Right. Mm. And I'm saying this as someone who even part of the reasons why I left Lagos was or I left home in Nigeria was because I was kind of escaping a toxic family situation. Right. And I do remember being in that house and a lot of young adults who moved mm. back home mm. can attest to that. I do remember being in the house and feeling like I did have PTSD. Like I, I'm not mm. going to un, just even joke about it. I mm. don't even want to mention every single thing that happened, maybe some other time, but right. I was always on edge. Like, mm always on edge. I remember one time I was my friend's car and we're driving to work and he was just like, you're tense. Like I even see you when you fall asleep in the car. It's like from your facial expressions, right. you don't truly relax your face. You don't truly relax who you are um, mm. how you are. And mm. I just realized it's because I'm always on edge because right. there's always something happening in the environment I'm in. And this was me as an adult, like mm. in my mid twenties, just always feeling like, okay, something can happen, something can pop off or I have to defend myself or I have to accept myself. And I feel like even in relationships, in, um, how do you say, in like romantic relationships, and this doesn't just have to do with physical abuse. I mean, once there's physical abuse, people obviously expect there to be PTSD. Mm. But sometimes when there's just always, you never know how your partner will react to things. You are like on edge. Even with friendships, I've had friendships like that. I felt, mm. I don't know if this person is going to lash out at me next minute. And right. I'm very, very careful what I say and I'm just very tense. And I remember having to like just move away from that friend, just like, you know, a bit of space. And I remember telling my other friend, like, it's so easy to hang out around you. Mm. And she was like, really? She was like, maybe people won't describe me like that. And I, I was comparing her to somebody else. And I was like, it's not as easy to hang out around this person. And when I sat down, I thought about it. I was like, because... We've had moments in the past that maybe I said something wrong that probably I would admit wasn't right. But the response was just like from zero to a hundred, you know, people that have sudden outbursts and that can put you on edge. And that sort of brings me to like the next thing I want to talk about, CPTSD. I know that's complex PTSD and it's a lot more, it's harder to dissect. So please, can you break that down? Okay. So complex PTSD or CPTSD, is a form of PTSD on itself. And it has all the symptoms of normal PTSD, but it has more to do with relational. um, And, yeah, relational uh, trauma, um, because the impact on the nervous system... um, due to the amount of trauma that you're dealing with on a consistent basis, um, becomes so much more difficult to deal with. So complex emotional trauma um, is a form of PTSD where rather than it being a singular traumatic event that you relive, the traumatic events keep happening consistently. And that's why it's usually associated with relationships because just like you mentioned having, for example, or living with a, in a toxic household, rather than the traumatic event happening once where, you know, maybe you have a fight with a family member, what happens when the fight is consistent? What happens when you're constantly coming home to a place where you don't feel safe, to a place where you're always arguing, to a place where there's always some form of conflict? So the compounding effects of that sort of trauma leads to what is known as CPTSD, complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And that leads people to having a 
towards a path really of general distrust and hypervigilance. And it really has to do with just having hurtful relationships, uh, relationships that leave painful reminders that live on with you uh, in your day-to-day life. Um, unfortunately, CPTSD is not, uh, is not a condition that is often recognized by society at large. It doesn't get discussed and doesn't get dissected in the same way PTSD does, so people don't really understand and they don't know about it, but it's actually far more common, you know, because a survivor of a single incident trauma, you know, they may be triggered by a lot of things, sounds or smells, but not usually by relationships or by attachments. But if you're suffering from complex uh, traumatic stress disorder, your relationships, the people around you, family, friends, work, uh, these are situations that you have to deal with every day, consistently. You have to live in situations that are constantly causing you stress versus, you know, um, with PTSD, it's just a one-time event that's causing you stress stress at different times um, that you may or may not be able to cope with um, depending on how deeply the event scarred you. With complex post-traumatic stress disorder, it's something that you're constantly having to fight. Um, so it's a very uh, it's a very difficult condition to have to to have to live with. But just like PTSD, there are um, there are ways to cope. There are ways to shall we say grow around it, rather than trying to completely push against it, or rather than trying to completely ignore it. With CPTSD, it's it's more about growing around the issue, such that even though the issue exists, even though it's still a problem, you've grown to the point where not only can you handle it, but it's something that you can get away from very easily. Hmm. Um, and I feel like what you said for people who grew up in toxic households Mm. and most times when we say toxic families we often assume that it means um toxic family has to do with you being beaten every day or you've been attacked sometimes emotional neglect is a form of abuse i mean most times with children emotional neglect is a form of abuse let's just clarify that so um so it's like how does cpts like let me give an example And I want to use myself just to make this more relatable, Mm. not being given as much, let's say, emotional attention. And I feel like I should have had. And my therapist said this wasn't just me, guys. So (laughs) not getting enough of this, not getting enough of this um, attention. I felt like I needed to overcompensate by literally being a people pleaser, by trying to please everyone around me. And of course, I mean, some people you just get tired of and you can't please them. That's true. But when it came to even um, friend um, relationships, especially like romantic relationships with men and just friendships, I found myself in this situation a lot. And also it felt like I was attracting narcissists, even narcissistic bosses and this and the third. And now that I know better, I know it's not like I was attracting them. I know it was more like I was just tolerating nonsense. So I kind of always found myself stuck in those situations anyway. You get what I mean? Because there are narcissists around you. There are people who will take advantage of you around you. It depends on 
your boundaries and how strong they are. So it's like, please, can you explain how maybe a child who grew up in a family where she didn't really get or he didn't really get as much attention can grow up to being an adult who ends up in relationships whereby they always feel like their emotional needs are not met? Right. So as a child, of course, um, one of the, if not the most important aspect of healthy growth and development is growing up in an environment that has healthy emotional attachments and healthy emotional boundaries. So a child growing up needs to understand first and foremost that they're safe, that the environment that they're in is one where they don't need to worry about their physical or mental safety. And a child, of course, doesn't understand what mental safety is. But mental safety simply has to do with the child not being overly criticized or the child not being put down so much. I think you mentioned something earlier that was really interesting where you were talking about surviving the explosion at the cantonment. And one of the things that people would say is, you know, you should be grateful that you survived. You should be happy that you survived because, you know, there are other people who did Very true. And yeah. that's an example of something that is known as toxic positivity, right? You're telling people that they should be grateful for having gone through a difficult or a very traumatic event. And the truth of the matter is, just like I mentioned earlier, sometimes we just have to recognize that bad things happen. And these bad things, these emotions that we're going through as a result of these events aren't things that we should push away, the things that we need to deal with head on. A child is necessarily or understandably upset over going through a traumatic experience. The idea isn't to push against that experience. The idea isn't to tell the child, you know, it's going to be ill to, 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 to just forget it and move on. We have to talk to him or to her. We have to understand what happened. Why did it happen? Can it happen again? Because that's something that's always going to be going through their minds. Is it something that they need to worry about on a consistent basis? Most of the time, and I think this is something that is very difficult for, especially for older generations of Nigerians, because it's not something that they had to grow up with. But in most situations with a lot of children, all that needs to be had is a conversation. Children are always looking to learn. They're always trying to be inquisitive. They're always trying to they're always curious. And part of that curiosity is wanting to understand their own emotions. I think we often forget, especially in this society, that a child doesn't necessarily understand why he or she is reacting a certain way or why he or she is doing things a certain way. They're confused by their own emotions. They don't necessarily understand what pain feels like on an emotional level. They understand physical pain, but what is emotional pain? How does that feel like? And what do I do when that comes to me? And I think, unfortunately, for, for, for a lot of Nigerians and uh, older generations of Nigerians, it's difficult for them to have a conversation about painful experiences and go through the steps that a child would need to go through in order to feel safe again. And that's mainly because Nobody was there for them. Nobody showed them how to do it. And so it's something that's harder for them to learn or harder for them to understand. Um, 
So a child growing up in a home, and the home, like you mentioned, doesn't need to be toxic in the form of physical violence. Um, it can be verbal abuse. It can be simply the fact that the child is neglected. You know, It can be the fact that um, there are constant comparisons between one sibling or the other. Maybe one sibling is doing better in school. And so the other siblings always belittled for how how badly they're coping. And that's another example of... Yeah, you know, this is very common, actually. Very, very common. And that's another example of uh, generations of Nigerians simply not understanding that there are different ways to deal with uh, these emotional issues that children have. Because it's entirely possible, you see, that one child has a particular aptitude for reading and um, elocution and different types of uh, intellectual activity. And the other child maybe is more introverted, maybe they're more artistic. You know, there are different forms of intelligence and different forms of talent. And unfortunately, we've often been stuck in this society in the idea of what success looks like and what a how a child should behave, how exactly it is that they should be going through school or going through life without really understanding that children are different. Not just different in the sense that they're different from adults, but they're different from each other. And we can't expect that everybody is going to go through the same path and develop and grow and learn in the same way. So it's very important that children are given, first of all, the space to be children. Because if they grow up in an environment where they don't feel safe expressing their emotions, they don't feel safe talking to their parents or their guardians about what it is they're going through, not only does that manifest in adulthood as somebody growing up being distrustful, somebody growing up being... Uh, in a state where they're always hyper vigilant about the area that they're in, um, it can also develop into feelings of extreme loneliness. Because if you didn't have anyone to talk to, if you didn't have anyone to express your feelings with, and you didn't know how to do that even when you left home, how are you necessarily going to learn that as an adult? It becomes far more difficult. And so you have people who because they're going through these long stretches of loneliness, they develop depression. They develop social anxiety, not being able to talk to people around them, not being able to express what it is they're feeling or what it is they need. Um, or worst case scenario, you have people who, in order to deal with all of these emotions, they fall into substance abuse, whether that's alcohol or that's drugs or that's something as... Um, difficult to deal with as sex or pornography addiction. All of these are issues that unfortunately can be traced back to certain issues straight from childhood. So it's really important that children are given the, the space, first of all, to make mistakes, to be children, to learn, but also are given a listening ear. More than anything, a child just wants to feel safe. And it's that level of safety both on a physical and emotional level, that's going to determine how they develop into healthy adults. Wow. So like from this, <laughs> I think it's safe to say that most Nigerians right now 
have or suffer? Or let me ask a question. Is it safe to say or assume that most Nigerians right now have CPTSD? I think it's safe to assume that a very large number of Nigerians have or have had CPTSD at some point in their life. Um, it's safe to assume generally that a lot of Nigerians are suffering from one form of PTSD or the other, um, because, you know, PTSD doesn't need to be, whether it's complex or it's singular, it doesn't necessarily need to be a physical event. Sometimes it can just be the fact that um, while at school, you were always the child that everybody made fun of. Um, either your, your, your classmates, your teachers, or sometimes the classmates and the teachers join together. And you may come out of that, okay, you may come out of school having passed and having gotten good grades, but that experience of always being the outsider, of always being the outcast, heavily determines how it is you relate with other people. And I think that regardless of the situation, whether it's at school, whether it's at home, whether it's at work, um, whether it's experiences we had at university, whether it's experiences we had because of university, <laughs> I think all of us um, at one <laughs> point or another um, definitely have suffered from some form of CPTSD. Very true. Like even from my experience, what I said with like, you know, being in relationships with people who were more selfish, it's just like growing, growing up, being overly criticized. I mean, besides physical beating, which we're going to just mention, but mm. like even just being overly criticized it made me feel very, very, it made me hypersensitive to criticism, like people telling me, oh, you did this, you did that. And I won't really respond in like a defensive way most times. Most times it's right. really more or less like, oh, I'm bad. They don't like me or um, I'm not good enough. Or, Why am I even taking up space? And at that time, I didn't really know. And, and this was something that happened for years, like mm. into my 20s. So like at that time, I didn't really know that that was a form of, CBTSD and also it was triggering depression. Like it made me very depressed and right. I have issues with my self-esteem, just being overly criticized, like internalizing everything, soaking up things like a sponge and also being the child that's picked on because usually the black sheep of the family most times is just the child who speaks up on things, right. who notices things that other people are not willing to say. And mm -hmm. most times you get called out for being outspoken because the culture is the culture basically just says like the adult is always right. So you have to exactly. listen to the adult and you can't stand mm. up for yourself. So mm. with that, I had to relearn how to stand up for myself. And naturally I realized I'm a very outspoken person. I speak my mind. I'll let you know how I feel about things. But now that's a skill that I am working on again, that I have mm. to come back to. And I won't mm. say it ever left because in certain instances, like your true self will always come out. But for right. the most part, when I was afraid of like losing the person or let's say even a job, it doesn't even have to be a relationship with a friend or a lover, even a mm. job, like, and that's understandable because yes, you want to get paid, you want to do this, you want to do that. But there are even times when the boss was like, you could have said something. You know what right. I mean? And exactly. then that's when you know it's bad. When even a toxic boss is telling you, yeah, you could have said something. And it's and I've noticed as well, a lot of 
narcissists push your boundaries. So they test you. Is this one going to speak up? Mm. Is that one going to speak up? You know what I mean? Exactly. So yeah, please just let us just let us know if um the symptoms of PTSD and CPTSD are the same. Are they this, is it safe to say they're the same or very similar at least? The symptoms are very similar, even though, like we said before, you know, PTSD is about single incident trauma and complex trauma survivors likely experience abuse or neglect um from different angles. So it can be abuse or neglect during their formative years from uh, a primary caregiver, their family or their guardian um, who was involved in a close relationship in their life. And so they have a hard time figuring out what was right or wrong because behaviors of their caregivers didn't necessarily always make sense. Um, They struggle to be present in their life as adults because everyday life and relationships still feel unsafe. Um, They may not know how to navigate several relationships and are consumed by trauma symptoms every day. Um, So it's like living in a triggered state of hyper arousal um, because it's how they learned how to survive. It's really a survival tactic where you're constantly in flight or fight mode because fight or flight mode is all you've ever known, really. And I think that's what makes it specifically a little bit different from single, single event PTSD. Because with single event PTSD, it's one incident that puts you in that sense of hypervigilance. And sometimes you get out of it when you get to a point where you feel safe and then you can get triggered by various things. But with CPTSD, it's something that's constantly happening. So you're constantly on alert. Um, I think feelings of grief, bereavement, um, shame, guilt, embarrassment, these are all very similar trauma responses, um, regardless of whether it's CPTSD or uh, a single event PTSD. A traumatic event, uh, either witnessed or experienced, um, is always going to feel like a fundamental threat to one's physical safety or their survival. It's just that CPTSD is something that is consistent. And so there are ways very specific ways in which um, it manifests differently. Um, but for the most part, um, a lot of the symptoms can be can seem very similar. Hmm. And how will you, I mean, we've already spoken briefly on or mentioned few ways that people can be treated, mm-hmm. but what advice will you give to someone who is suffering from PTSD or CPTSD or knows someone who is? Okay, so generally speaking, I would say that healing from trauma, people who've experienced complex trauma, there's no, there's no gain saying that they have a greater challenge recognizing that trauma's impact because it's become sort of entwined with their fundamental understanding of the world and of themselves. It's become part of their foundation in the world. And so in therapy, the most important thing is building a new foundation, one of stability, consistency, and safety in order to heal. You have to learn that relationships can be safe, they can be vulnerable and stay safe, and the connections help with healing. So more than anything, for somebody living with CPTSD, uh, the important thing, first of all, is recognizing 
the pathway that led from you initially having some sort of safety and then getting to a point where you have a certain level of distrust or hypervigilance, you know, noticing what parts of you are insecure, anxious, or confusing, and how that affects your relationships. Once there is that recognition, then the healing process can begin. You know, uh, there is a saying that says a, a problem known is half solved. And that's really, that's really part of, part of the, the issue when it comes to CPTSD. A lot of people don't even recognize that this is what they're living with because they've been living with it for so long or it's such a formative part of their character that they don't really recognize that this is, some, this is a traumatic uh, condition that I'm constantly going through. So once you get through that recognition um, through therapy, um, there are concepts and strategies that can be used for healing. But first and foremost is being able to recognize it and recognizing that there is another way. There is a way to feel safe, to be vulnerable and stay safe, and that you don't always have to be at the edge of a knife. Wow, that is that is very good. Like, thank you so much for that. I also wanted to just add something really quickly. Now, um, I know about hypnotherapy. I know about it. I don't know so much. I'm sure you know more. But there's something I heard the other day that was very interesting, just something I stumbled on on YouTube, talking about using virtual reality. Right to help improve mental health conditions, especially PTSD. So one, someone mentioned um, using like virtual reality to reenact the situation or the experience and having the person obviously put in the virtual reality goggles and then go into that world and be in a simulated version of the experience that they had right. in real life. Do you think that mm. that could be a way of, that could be like a revolutionary way because, I mean, there are many ways, but like a revolutionary way of treating PTSD and complex PTSD. I think there are, there are certainly ways in which uh, virtual reality can transform mental health treatment. Um, you know, we tend to remember information best when we're in the same physical or mental state as when the memory was initially formed. And that's known as state-dependent learning. Right. Um, so a VR environment can, you know, simulate that sort of real world, real world environment and allow you to walk around and interact with the environment as if it were real, recreating either the situation you were in or at least the feelings you were in. And so that level of flex flexibility um, makes it very practical and makes it very adaptable to treating a wide range of mental health problems. I think there've already been VR treatments that have been developed for phobias, um, arachnophobia, the fear of spiders, as well as for disorders such as PTSD or addiction and eating disorders. Um, also the fact that I think, you know, because you can, because it's a, uh, it's, it's, it's a uh, virtual reality you can automate a lot of these responses. So you can simply create a program that people can go through over and over again, right? So it's just like if you needed medical attention, rather than going to the doctor, if you already have the medication with you, just take the medication as needed. What if you could create a virtual reality program where as soon as you feel a certain level of anxiety, you feel a certain level of 
um, tension. You could go into the VR program, go through the therapeutic process, and come out feeling better. So I think there are certain ways that uh, VR has the potential to transform both our understanding and treatment of mental health problems. Mm. Thank you so much, Vice. Like, thank you. I really appreciate this conversation that we're having. I'm sure a lot of people have learned from it and I've also learned from it. Please let us, let our listeners know where to find you, like your social media handles, your website, and also tell us a bit more about your practice. Right. So you can find me, usually I'm, I'm more of a Twitter person, so you can find me, my Twitter handle is Omega Scion. O-M-E-G-A, Omega, S-I-Y-O-N, Omega Scion. You can find me on Twitter. Um, and you can also find me on Instagram, though I'm more, I'm more, I'm more uh, active on Twitter and sometimes Clubhouse. Um, you can also look up our organization, She Writes Women Mental Health Initiative, at our website, shewriteswoman.org. Um, we provide mental health uh, counseling. We provide ter- therapy. Uh, we provide uh, employee assistant programs where you know we can guide people through best career advice that they need. Um, we provide therapy for institutions in general, and we also have a mental health helpline where it's twenty four seven and it's toll free, so you can call at any time and speak to a counselor almost immediately, regardless of what issue you may be dealing with. The number is zero eight hundred. 0800-2000. So um, it's toll-free and 24-7, so you can use it anytime. Um, the other thing that I'd also like to talk about is our community. So that is for the people, the listeners in Nigeria. Sorry to call you short, but that's for the listeners in Nigeria. Yes, it's for the number, yes, the toll-free toll number. number is for the listeners in Nigeria. Yes, that's true. Um, but we also have a virtual community which can be accessed by almost anybody through Facebook. Again, that's just She Writes Woman. You can find us also on Facebook. It's to talk to other people who have been uh, either through similar events as yours or who are living with certain mental health conditions and understanding and knowing and empathizing with them and finding people who have lived through what you've lived through and have still come out the better. Thank you for listening to this episode of Imole. Please make sure you rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts wherever you stream your episodes. You can also send me emails about today's episode or anything related to mental health and spirituality through fanmail at imolethepod.com. Finally, please subscribe to the Imole newsletter to learn more about our episodes through the link in the episode notes. Thank you and see you on the next episode. This episode was produced by Aisha Salaudin, audio mixed by Lord Phil, and is distributed by Visual Audio Times. For more podcasts, visit visualaudiotimes.com.